If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. On this episode of The Transition, I'm joined by Bunker Labs ambassador, Courtney Zog, founder and CEO of Plaka Associates, an Indiana-based economic development consulting firm that collaborates with innovators in economic development to design entrepreneur-led strategies that shape talent, community, and industry ecosystems. She's also the co-founder of Zinc Contractors, a commercial and residential general contracting firm she runs alongside her husband. Courtney is a beast when it comes to entrepreneurship-led economic development, building ecosystems with government and third-party entities to cultivate and retain startups and small businesses. Those of us that live in major metropolitan areas like New York City, San Francisco, and Austin, Texas, just to name a few, are accustomed to world-class ecosystems and resources. Outside of them, what does economic development actually look like? Courtney and I discuss this and so much more on today's show. Before you hear from Courtney and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. I also want to encourage you to purchase a copy of my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur. Validate your business model, build your brand, and step into greatness, which is available on Amazon. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoy today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Courtney, welcome to The Transition, coming all the way from Indianapolis. How's it going? It's really, really good. I love Mondays. The weather's beautiful. New day, new opportunities. Now, I've been seeing Courtney on LinkedIn. I feel like we move around in a lot of similar circles, you know, particularly with you being Bunker Labs ambassador. And I thought it'd be great to get you on the platform today and talk about some economic development. I think that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. With uh, Sometimes people don't actually know what it means. And when I think about the community I live in, Newark, like it comes up all the time. You know, how are we create new jobs for people in the community? How are we support local entrepreneurs, small business owners? Uh, and I think economic development more so, I, I tie it a lot more with small business, if I'm being quite frank, um, because I see a lot of the efforts around it being more kind of grassroots focused on local communities, as opposed to just, you know, the traditional or the upstart tech ecosystems you're seeing. That's right. That's true. You're right. That's where that's where it actually happens. It's not it's not the big corporations that relocate and hire 500 people and pay low wages. It's the small businesses and the young firms that make the difference. So I would love for us to start by having you introduce yourself to everyone. Let them know what you've got going on. You got quite the portfolio slash resume slash whatever you want to call it because you got your hands in a lot of stuff. I do. So I have a an economic development consulting firm called Plaka, and that means I work with elected officials, economic developers, real estate developers on how to develop the best type of business and talent for their specific community or neighborhood. 
Um, so that's about three and a half, four years old. I also co-own a construction company with my husband, Marine Corps veteran, called Zinc Contractors. Uh, we do both residential and commercial um, remodeling work. Um, and so that really was the impetus of like how I got into the Bunker Labs ecosystem was because walking with him through that process and um, being small business owners and, and moving forward from there. So I, I, I have both the practical experience of being an entrepreneur, but also then I'm sharing information with my clients, my economic development elected official clients about why to invest in entrepreneurship over um, or in a more balanced way than, than other traditional strategies. How did you get into economic development? It's like a niche. It is. So that, yeah, back in the day when I went to school a long time ago, uh, they didn't have degrees, right? They had um, certain courses. So my background's in international political economy. So understanding the politics that drive economics. And the goal was uh, to work for the State Department or USAID. And then, um, so I went to, to school in Brussels and I ran out of money, my money, uh, going to grad school. And I came back and that's when I met my husband who had just gotten out of the Marine Corps, um, was using the GI Bill to go to school. And so I was applying for jobs in Afghanistan. And he was like, I don't think I want to do that <laughs> anymore. And so we we worked together on what a career path would look like for us. So with that, I started my my professional career working for the state of Indiana, trying to attract foreign direct investment into the state. And that in turn uh, moved into domestic economic development and now consulting. So you said Indiana, is it Illinois or Indiana? Indiana, Indiana, the Indiana. ice state. Got it. I forgot. There's a venture studio that's either in, um, I think that's in Indiana, right? What's the big venture studio that's out there that's working in healthcare? Well, there, there's a couple. So I have a partnership with Next Studios, which is a venture studio gotcha. that supports underrepresented founders. And then there's a really big one called High Alpha. Yeah, that's High, it. High Alpha. Yeah. So started by the founders of Exact Target that was sold to Salesforce. And so that's actually the catalyst in Indiana around and focus on entrepreneurship and innovation is that they've had some successful SaaS founders that are now reinvesting back into the community and really are the ones with the venture capital dollars and the support systems to help the tech industry grow. They've done an amazing job here. Yeah, I'm seeing that across the board, how a lot of these, you know, uh, I don't want to call them urban epicenters, but they're trying to attract talent to come back, right? They had either some kind of manufacturing economy back in the day. And so how are they getting people to come back, you know, there instead of, you know, moving to New York City or San Francisco? Um, we've seen it in, uh, I think, St. Louis, right? St. Louis yes. has this whole thing with the arch grants that's going on. Yes. You know, Newark is trying to make some moves here locally. Obviously, you all got Indiana. And I feel like you're seeing this model start to take place across uh, the country as people start to, you know, really think about what does... 21st century job creation, you know, look like? Yes, exactly. So the way that we typically approach economic development as, as looking through the lens of how to, how to invest in entrepreneurship is capital talent in place. And so Indiana has done a very good job investing in quality of place. So things like parks and recreation, um, initiatives, culture, food, in order to not only retain the folks that are here, you know, the pipeline of talent, but also to attract talent, 
which is a really critical piece to the, to the broader ecosystem. I think the challenge and the hardest piece is always the capital. And so there, there are, but it's interesting, there's some creative options, especially with impact investing now becoming more and more common, that really is um, an entry point into the capital spectrum to supporting economic development. We're going to get into a lot of this, and I'm excited to do so. But before we do, a couple of things. One, I got you. I got to get you to take off your armor. So one of the things we do is we get vulnerable on this platform. Oh, right? dear. Um, and I would love to learn something you're struggling with, either personally or professionally, as an entrepreneur, as an ecosystem builder. Um, and then also I want to acknowledge what brought us here today, which is Bunker Labs. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, Courtney, willing to take off your armor for our listeners? Yes, 100% I will. Yes. Uh, well, there are two things. The first one is the struggle in economic development, which we'll t we can talk about, is um, everyone really likes the status quo and people are risk adverse, you know, elected officials, especially um, real estate developers to a point. And in the world of investing for the future, you have to take risks and you have strategic risks, but you need to take risks. And so much of the work I do um, is with risk adverse people and it can be extremely challenging um, it can be field deflating and working in this field 14, 15 years, there are times when I'm like, eh, I think maybe I'm done. You know, I, I want to be with the, I want to be with the group that thinks big and, um, is willing to take risks, which is why I like being with Bunker and a part of the entrepreneur community. I think the other thing that I struggle with, which I'm sure resonates with others is that I have a lot of irons in the fire. You know, I'm interested in a lot of different things. And I can connect the dots where it all makes sense. But that means often I spread myself too thin. I'm, you know, an entrepreneur. I work with my husband. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a community member and volunteer. And sometimes that does does no one any good because I do too many things. I appreciate you, Shan. I think I'm right there with you. I've got my team working on my LinkedIn banner. Right. Because I just um, I got a lot. I got my hands in a lot of fires as well. And so it's like, what's the one thing I want to highlight? Right. Is it podcasting? Is it brand strategy? Is it coaching? You know, I got my book coming out. I know. Right? Like, what's the you know, like, what's the one thing? But the other thing I think about is we're in this age now where people have always said you've got to have multiple streams of income. Right. And for small business owners. Right. Like capital is always a thing. Right. You need. Um, you need capital for cash flow purposes, right? You never want to be in a bind, right? So we, this is how we de-risk, right? That's right. We have other hustles. And so I don't know if it's just the kind of time we're in, but I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and everyone feels under this like pressure, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, and if you don't have people holding you accountable, reminding you of the important things in life, like you said, like your family, like your health, right? It's easy to just stay down underwater instead of like having your head up and saying okay you know what like let me focus on you know all these other things and not necessarily have things so crazy in my life that's right the power of saying no or not right now um is so powerful that i think we forget that it's a strength and not not a weakness to be able to be like yep i'm gonna pass on that just for right now 100 percent and, you know, before we went live, one of the things you were talking about was how, you know, when your husband was starting the business, when you all were starting the business, right, like 
it was a grind, right? You're slugging along. And then all of a sudden you come across Bunker Labs and you're like, what the heck is this? This is great. This is exactly what we need. Because not only are you dealing with the transition, on top of that, trying to start a business, you know, not having your tribe around you. That's right. And so it sounds like Bunker has been a great, uh, great ecosystem to land upon for y'all. It has been, it has been. And I want to be really careful because, you know, my husband's story is his story. And so our story is the transition after he got out and the impact on, on our family and frankly, the businesses. But the way, so in 2017, I should say before this. So in, in 2013, my husband was, uh, he had graduated, he'd used the GI Bill, he was working in a desk, at a desk behind a computer and hated every minute of it. He was miserable. And before he went to the Marine Corps, he framed houses. And so it's like, oh, why don't you start, you know, doing some projects on the side? And when he would, he'd come home happy. I'm like, well, that's, that, let's, let's do more of this, right? Um, along at the same, around the same time, uh, we, I, I got pregnant. And we had been making plans for him to launch a business full time. And we both looked at each other and just said, look, uh, this, our lives are going to be completely changed. We should just rip the bandaid off and we should start the business when, after our daughter was born. And so, um, six months later, when she was six months old, he started the construction business in contractors and it was rough. So I, I came from, um, I come from a lineage of food entrepreneurs. So way back, you know, great grandparents came from Greece. They had food trucks, food carts back then that evolved into catering businesses. And then my parents owned restaurants, but um, they failed. My, my, the, when my parents had the restaurants, I experienced the, the, the fall of that dream and the brokenness and um, frankly, just being extremely poor and how hard that was and fracturing the family too. So my, my goal was never to be an entrepreneur. It's like, that was really painful. Why would we do that? But when my husband was, you know, doing the remodeling projects and see, saw how happy he was and that he was able to make some money, it's like, this is the direction. Um, but it was, it was a grind. Neither of us had the business knowledge. He had the technical knowledge, but it's not like he, he knew um, what his market was. He didn't know how to price things. And it was painful. It was very painful. But it was two light bulbs that went off. One was it shouldn't be this hard for people to start businesses, especially with our network. It definitely shouldn't be this hard for veterans. The other light bulb was when I was working in economic development across the country, communities would say, we, you know, we are economic development strategy are three main pillars, business attraction, business retention and entrepreneurship. And that last piece really was BS. You know, folks did not they didn't invest in entrepreneurs. They didn't invest in startups. They didn't invest in main street businesses. They just kicked it over to, you know, the local small business development office, which is fine and serves a great purpose, but that's not real investment. When you also see large incentive packages going to major corporations relocating from out of the state. So I knew that I want at some point I wanted to start my own practice. And so two years after the construction business, I started PLACA and my focus is, on entrepreneurship led economic development, um, meaning business attraction is important, retention is very important, but there's this third piece that is 
missing in most of America, and that is supporting the entrepreneurs that actually create the jobs that are sustainable. Listen, this is what I tell people. It is, I think it's easy to come up with an idea, right? And have your little side hustle going, you know, start generating revenue. When you start going full time, right? It's a different conversation. And you start putting your livelihood on the line, you know, it is a beast, right? Yes. And I think about, when I think about like what you just said, entrepreneur led, you know, economic development, the best support I've had locally in Newark has been from veteran organizations. Right. Right. Having access to a free co-working space, you know, having access to, you know, LinkedIn Salesforce navigator, right? Just those simple things that people don't realize. And I'm constantly having this conversation behind the scenes here at Bonker about like, what are the tools and resources that the grassroots, you know, bootstrapped, you know, veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses need uh, to uh, make it easier as they go along this entrepreneurial journey? You know, those Square Squarespace subscriptions got to pay for themselves. That's right. You know, uh, QuickBooks. That's right. Like all that stuff starts to add up. Yeah. And it's like you said, once you go full time, you know, not only do you need to comp yourself, but you need cash in the bank to pay for things. That's right. And when you make mistakes, right, you really feel it. You know what I mean? And it's sometimes it just comes with the cost of doing business. So, like, I just had this conversation with someone about how, you know, I'm launching this coaching practice off the ground. And I am not naive to think it's going to be easy because it just never is. I know what it's like trying to get something off the ground. It literally feels like fighting gravity. When I think of economic development, all we're trying to do is like make it easier. for That's people. right. You know, where can we ease the load just a little bit? That's right. And that's you're right about Bunker. And, that, and the reason why I signed up to volunteer is because of the shared experience. You know, I, I think uh, my husband. Didn't, I think with the transition, him out of the military and into school and then into the businesses, we didn't recognize that it was the transition and the lack of community and the lack of mission that was really the issue. Like that was, it wasn't the job per se. It was, you know, a different life. And what do you do next? And so the other thing I'll, I'll shout out. So Bunker has been tremendously important to, to us and the growth of our businesses and to community. But Team Rubicon also had been very important to his transition out as well. I think he went on, um, there was one cleanup he went on and was surrounded by other veterans and came home and was like, oh yeah, I need to be around other veterans that have the shared experience because you know the folks, the folks that I'm around every day working at whatever nonprofit he was working at, they, they didn't understand, right? And so Bunker provides that. It's, I love walking into a Bunker Labs event and there's this immediate foundation of trust because of the shared experience. People's, people are more vulnerable um, and they want to engage. You know, we all, entrepreneurship's hard, as we all know, and you need to talk about the hard stuff. And who are you going to talk about the hard stuff with? People that have had the same experience or similar experiences as you. And that's a special sauce. So when communities are talking about creating a co-working space or um, having some events to that's their entrepreneurship strategy. That's a piece of it. But the special sauce is the shared experience and the connection amongst that community. That's what makes it work. So you talked before about the three things that are needed for like economic development. Walk us through. 
Yes. So we like to say that there is a triangle. You have capital, you have talent, and you have place. So in order for economic development to work, you need those three things. And especially for entrepreneurship-led strategies, that, that, that's, that's really the, the focus. Most communities are doing well focusing on place. So they're investing in parks or trails or um, cultural initiatives, um, art and food. And that's very important as, as, as a means to both retain your existing population and talent, but also to attract people. Then you have the talent initiatives, which a lot of people will just you know, push to the side and say, well, that's, you know, the workforce development boards that to, that need to focus on it. However, a lot of the workforce development really comes from the small businesses and the entrepreneurs training and holding the hands and like investing in the pipeline that are going to be decision makers in the future. That's really critical too. So how can, you know, I'm going off on a tangent slightly, but how can you help small businesses who are training the talent of the future how do you support them? Because that piece is just critical to the evolution of your ecosystem and for long-term sustainability. And the last piece, and the most, the, frankly, the hardest part is capital. So um, people will say, you know, there's a lot of different pots of money out there. You just have to find it. And that's that's I think that's true. But connecting the dots of on along the the capital continuum for any type of entrepreneur, that's where the success is. If it's a small business that maybe is not um, considered bankable, they have you know bad credit, okay, there's a community development finance institution over here that can help build that capacity, can give them a short-term loan and guidance on how to build their credit for the next loan that they're gonna need to scale. Is it a venture backable company? Okay, well, first you need to talk with the, you know, the angel investor group and then go to the state's VC and follow that path. But communities often just say, that's not my role. And there's been a lot associated with that because economic development, and Mikey said this in the beginning, it means everything now. You know, two decades ago, three decades ago, it was just smokestack chasing. It was, you know, trying to attract the manufacturing companies. Now it means housing. Now it means workforce development. Now it means food, food security. It, and it means jobs. It means all of these things. And that places a lot of pressure on the local communities that maybe don't have the tax revenue to support that. So. It, things need to be restructured and, and the way on, uh, economic development is looked at, if it's, you know, if the, if the goal is job creation, well, where do jobs come from? They come from young firms under five years old, small businesses. So why don't we support them? That's the main strategy. I'll tell you when I got my start. So I did the nonprofit um, in 2017. We launched, right? And I launched my for-profit in 2018. I'll be honest, Courtney, I feel like I got the runaround. Yeah. Right. I feel like there's a lot of like flag waving, like economic development. Go talk to these people. Go talk to these people. But I feel like they didn't get to the crutch of like what we needed as like entrepreneurs. And to be honest, at that time, I probably just need to drive sales and get revenue. Right. And so I had a mentor tell me, Mike, you got to stop these non-revenue generating conversations. And so after that, I just kind of shifted my focus and started you know, um, going after clients and focus on building my business. And honestly, I haven't even been in that circle like since then. But I know a lot of entrepreneurs, right? They get hemmed up, you know, bouncing around all these different kind of flag waving orgs. But the thing is, one of a lot of them aren't they don't have the ability to actually allocate capital. Right. Right. The other thing, too, is let's be honest. And this is me being open. 
right? Sometimes I've noticed at the community level on the government side of the house, you have people in entrepreneurial roles that are not necessarily entrepreneurs themselves. Oh my gosh, yes. And so they can't give you really the best advice. That's right. You know? That is so um, right. And so you end up just on this kind of like hamster wheel and like certain business models aren't prone to supplier diversity and all these different things. And so it can be hard when you are starting something from the ground up to know where you should focus your time and effort. Because while it's great, oh yeah, talk to these people, local economic development, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, it's like, they're not really focused on supporting your kind of business model. That's right. Oh man. And that story, unfortunately, is really common. Like we even experienced that with the construction company early on, you know, I knew all the resources, the small business development centers, the, you know, other CDFIs. And we, we went, we're like, okay, we don't know what we're doing. Come, you know, like, let's get some guidance. And it was interesting because they, they were valuable in the sense that they, they validated what we thought we knew of what direction we need to go in. Um, but they all, they also were entrepreneurs. None of them had any business ownership or CEO experience. And also they weren't, um, there was no industry specific guidance as well. And so something that is such a critical need, but is very difficult to put together are these mentorship types of programs. That's where I think Bunker provides value. You know, I wouldn't say that there's specific mentorship initiative with Bunker, but the peer advisory, you know, the, the peer community of entrepreneurs, it's almost as if we're mentoring one another. Um, based on our experiences and, you know, using the network to help solve problems. That's really, that, that's the key, but you're right. You know, at the community level, those, those economic development organizations, they want to be helpful, but they're not the right people. They don't have their, they don't have the right mission to actually help the, the entrepreneurs the way that they that they really should, because their mandate is very different. You know, it's, it's business attraction, mainly oriented. Um, so there's, you know, there's an opportunity to solve, uh, to solve that problem right now. And when you mean business attraction, trying to work with new businesses to come in and do local work. So they're basically kind of already established, et cetera. Yes. Thank you for, for the asking for that clarification. Sometimes they get caught up in the lingo. Yes. So attracting larger businesses, typically larger businesses, corporations into a community. So thinking of, um, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a, a lot of press around the Amazon H2Q. You know, they set out an RFP everywhere to say, we're looking to establish, you know, our, our second headquarters, big headquarters. And everyone just clamored to get in front of it. There were some communities that actually said no, because it wasn't going to be a good fit for their community. And they were focused on supporting their existing base which is smarter because the research also shows if you support your existing companies and your existing entrepreneurs, they stay in the community, they create more jobs and they add more investment. Um, but yes, that's so business attraction is large corporate employers from outside of the state wanting them to relocate in your community. And listen, we're not knocking, I'm not knocking the government employees, you know, working right? at small business centers and stuff That's right. because they do get a lot of volume. God knows how many people come to them asking them for business advice. And so they give the generic, here's the paperwork, here's all these flyers and all this other stuff. Um, but I just want to acknowledge that because those of you that are listening, right, we've got to get some momentum going in your businesses. And for a lot of us that have run the rap, you know, been through the gambit, right? 
we want to get you off in the in the right direction. And I just noticed that that can be a little bit of a bottleneck, that feeling like you're making progress in your business, talking to all these different people, except doing the stuff that's actually going to drive real growth, which is driving sales, validating your business model, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you are 100% right. I agree with you in, in two areas too. So the small business development centers play a good, you know, they are a critical piece, but they're just one piece of the puzzle. You know, there's other resources that are available that might be a better fit depending on what the stage of development of your, of your business, right? I think the other thing, and this is, this is where I see a lot of your work, Mike, that you talk about is, is your idea even a good one? So there's a, you know, there's a lot of businesses that even get a ton of funding, uh, event, you know, are venture backable, but the idea isn't even, it's not, a, you don't have a market, you know, like you haven't validated that your idea is even a good one, let alone like, you know, whether it doesn't matter if you're a small business or a big business, but that's the piece that I think a lot of people miss out on is, have you gone, have you gone down to the basics and, and understood is this even a good solution? Are you really solving a problem that people want solved or are you just creating a solution because it's an interesting solution? Yeah. I think for me, again, it goes back to there are certain business models that are more prone to the government contracts that are more prone to, you know, that kind of stuff, whether you're in construction, you know, maybe you're making some materials or something that people are using. But when I was doing a on-site corporate boxing business, you know, like yeah. and a lot of startup capital for that. Yeah, right? that's right. Um, and, you know, going to those conferences, I was actually making real progress, you know, oh, supplier diversity and all this other stuff. And so I just kind of got a jaded experience around it, but I could be wrong. Right. That's why I talked to the expert about like, you know, when we are talking to these these programs. Right. Are we do you have to have a certain type of business model? Yes, you're exactly right. I mean, and that, unfortunately, your story is, you know, not uncommon too. Of oh, okay, you're a veteran business, great. Attend this supplier diversity conference. Get you know, do this paperwork and get signed up to do X. Or oh, you you're a black founder. Okay, great. Go go make sure you're attending these you know these events and talking to these people. But in reality, that doesn't always match up to what what really is what is needed. And and like you said, the business model side of it. So. Um, I think that's where also bunkers and has been an important part for our businesses is surrounding yourself with people that will steer you well. You know, like I love the veteran community because you all are very candid. Like no one holds back, right? No, no one's gonna, no one's gonna blow any smoke. They're gonna tell you what it, what it is. And in a, a lot of times in the startup world, there's so many smoke and mirrors. In, in flashiness and lots of talk that isn't real, um, but but the veteran you know community, the the military spouse community, the bunker labs community, um, it, it doesn't work that way. We're all there. We we are real. We're candid, and we will always help and and say no. You need to move in a different direction. Here's who. You here's what you should do, and here's who you should talk to. Think about that. Now, one thing that comes up always for new ventures is capital. All right. Talk to us about what capital looks like at the uh, economic development level. So we've already said, you know, you mentioned CDFIs. Mm -hmm. A lot of our listeners might not be familiar with what those are. We've got the community based grants, you know, right. what other, at least in India, um, 
in Indiana, like what are you guys trying to do to get capital in the hands of uh, early stage founders? That's a great question. So typically, if it is capital coming from an economic development organization or from a, let's say, a city council, it's usually in the form of either a grant or it's um, some type of gap funding and it's on a, on a small scale. So say up to $50,000 um, with flexible loan terms. So that's a, a typically called a revolving loan fund, but it's meant to be gap financing for small businesses. That has been, you know, I would say a cornerstone when people say, oh, we, we actually do have an entrepreneurship strategy and we deploy capital. They will point to this revolving loan fund, but pre-pandemic, those funds were hardly ever distributed. And there's lots of reasons for that. Most of it, I think, is marketing and capacity. Um, but that has been the typical um, capital uh, asset from a community level. With the pandemic, that shifted, right? And so there's a lot more grants that have been deployed, both from the public sector and from the private sector for for-profit for businesses. And I see that still continuing. I think there it's gained some momentum and people have become comfortable with that process. So that's good. The other side of it is then they would say, we need to go talk to your local bank. Um, and that's fine. But if you don't have a relationship with the local bank, the chances of you getting those commercial loans, it, it's, it's not as high. And, and so that relationship building, again, takes time. When you're in need of capital, you don't have time. You, like, you need it right now, right? Um, and then some folks would say, well, if you're venture backable, then you can go talk to the angel investor network, which then you can talk to the state VC. Um, and also those are good routes, but that's not for every business. That's not for every business model. And so there, there are gaps. These community development financial institutions, these CDFIs are really meant to help um, founders that maybe need some help. They, they don't qualify with the strict matrix of a commercial loan, but they have a good business model. They have customers, they have a good team. These CDFIs will help with that type of financing. Typically those, um, depend, and all of them are different. So, you know, not, not, there's not one that's typical, but they often will have a, an interest rate that's a little bit higher, but it's a shorter term loan. So they'll wrap around some technical uh, uh, advisors as well to say, Okay, you want to you want to take out $100,000 in a commercial loan at the local bank? Great, we have relationships there. Let's start with this $20,000 loan, higher interest rate. You repay it in a year, and we're going to walk you through to build up your credit scores and to get you ready for that bigger loan. It's been it's worked fabulously in a lot of communities and for lots of different businesses. So that's been a really great asset here in Indiana. We have some really great CDFIs. Um, the other thing that has been interesting and popping up is the, the concept of impact investing at the community foundation level. So here in central Indiana, we had the central Indiana community foundation start an impact fund, community impact fund that took these donor advised funds and said, okay, what if we actually took a portion of it and used it to invest in, uh, in entrepreneurs and small businesses? It could be a grant. It could be a loan. How do we, you know, how do we, how do we be creative with these large amount of <laughs> donor dollars that we have to, to deploy them to especially underrepresented founders, black and brown founders, veteran founders, females, LGBTQ founders across the board. 
And it's been wildly successful here. And so one thing that I'm working with um, a venture studio here in town called Next Studios is to um, basically build some capacity with communities around Indiana and their community foundations to start a, a community impact fund. So I'm being a little long-winded. That means you know you have wealth in every community. Lots of times it's quiet wealth, and you don't know. You know it could be generational farmers that have you know a lot of money, and their main uh, community support is providing their dollars to the community foundation. Then separately they have you know they're investing in mutual funds. So our pitch is. Well, what if you think about what you're taking the mutual funds and putting it into this community impact fund where you're supporting local entrepreneurs, you're investing back in your community, the returns are going to be very similar to what you're getting with your mutual funds. And it's an entry point for others to say, yeah, I'm going to do that too. I don't need to put my money elsewhere. I can put it back in the community and get a rate of return that otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't stay in the local community. Can you give us some example of the kind of business models that you've seen this work well with? So that's a really great question. I think it depends on whether it's a grant or whether it's a loan. Um, so there's a, 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 typically they're deployed through pitch competitions. So there's one pitch competition that's been going on for over a decade called Pitch Feast. It is specifically for black and brown founders. And the um, participants can actually choose what kind of um, funds they, they want, whether it's a grant, whether it's a short-term loan. Most of them have chosen a grant, and a lot of them have been, um, I'll call Main Street businesses. So you could have a local barbecue uh, joint. You could have, um, uh, there's several marketing agencies that have started using some of the grant dollars. There's been attorneys, estate attorneys that have said, hey, I'm focusing on providing services specifically for elder care. Well, we know we need more of that. There isn't, there aren't enough of those resources. And being, you know, a black founder, getting the, that kind of support to scale those services has been difficult. So she, she, I think, won twenty-five thousand dollars in one of the latest pinch competitions. Um, most of them have not have been. If if they are venture backable, they have received grant dollars to then go over to this accelerator program. To, to use for building whatever part of the tech that is usually a part of the accelerator or the, um, uh, yeah, the accelerator program. So they're taking that and then applying it for future development of their idea. Um, but typically it has been in grant dollars and um, has been more for these small businesses, main street type of businesses, not venture backable. And it's been very successful though. You've had more donors that have come out of the wordwork to say, I want to do that and put their money there. I feel like lately there's been this sense of like, if you're running a small business, you're like lacking ambition, right? Yeah. Like that you should be going for like the venture backable tech startup. But I notice at least here locally in Newark, right? There's been this big push about, oh, we're trying to attract tech to come here. But like all the entrepreneurs I know are main street entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. particularly the black and brown ones we're running. You know, retail shops, right. right? Ice cream stores, you know, all this other uh, um, kind of stuff. And so when I think of like, you know, when you say, oh, that's probably why they want to get the grant, because it's so hard to get those big returns, be able to to pay off those. That's loans. right. And I, I you just you like touched a nerve that I could talk for hours about 
um, it's not like, I, and, and I think with Bunker, the work that we're doing in Indianapolis is that I want to draw more of the attention onto the, these main, these small businesses and these main street businesses, because when you look at the data, they're the backbone of the economy. The construction business is the backbone of the economy. You need it in every community. You need the ice cream shops because that is what's going to, again, retain people and attract people to your community. You need the retail shops. You need people to to want to explore and you need culture and you need art and you need food. Those are all things that are not typically venture backable, but are a critical piece to each community, whether it comes to jobs or whether like quality of place and just your sense of community. I also, I, I feel like I, I get really frustrated about all of the attention on the venture backable companies because I think, and I'm being very biased here, so I will be very open about that. We have grit. Like if you have to, if it is your livelihood and, and we have, you know, two businesses under one roof. So, you know, cash flow can be interesting at times in our house and you're having to hustle in order to pay bills and to make sure that your team is paid. Like, okay. That's a little, it's a different mindset than having this venture capital come in and you just have to spend all this money to hit, you know, to hit the, all of the, um, the deadlines, right? Now it's like, well, I just need to hustle and get sales so I can, so I can pay my team. I can provide a good service and move on to the next. It's, it feels like, I don't know, we, we, it's grittier and it's, um, we have so much more skin in the game. And I, it's those folks that I want to surround myself with because they get it and they'll always have your back, have your back because it's just a different mindset. And listen, nothing against our SaaS founders out That's there. Right. Like we love y'all. We need y'all. Let's be honest. There's something dope about opening up a brewery, little cigar shop, right? That's like, right. Again, I go back to this over and over, right? Like, do we want to make money as entrepreneurs? Absolutely. Right. But also we're seeking something more, right? If our if we only tie success to monetary returns, right, we're missing out on the experience of creating value for others through our products and services in a variety of ways, right? I think a lot of the listeners on this platform, right? Yeah, we're getting entrepreneurship to make money, but they're also trying to manifest their dreams. There's something about, you know, opening, like you say, that cigar bar right. or starting that ice cream shop and having something that's their own having their name on the banners, telling everybody about what they're doing, having a reason to wake up and go to work each and every day. And so that's why I'm like really passionate about just entrepreneurship in general. And I just try to keep my balance and excitement on, you know, the tech space just as much as I do on, you know, the little main street business, because I think there are dope business models across the board. That's right. You're, you're right. I hope I, I certainly, I don't want the, like, I don't want, my thoughts to, to come off as, you know, tech is terrible or venture backable companies are not good. That's not the case at all. I just, uh, there's a place for everyone in the ecosystem. And I, I think it's the non-tech, non-venture backable companies that deserve more of the spotlight because of the value that often isn't quantifiable or isn't, doesn't seem to be quantifiable that add to a community. Is there anything that's exciting you right now in economic development? Yes. So I just joined this campaign called Right to Start. 
led by Victor Wong. So Victor used to be an executive at Kauffman Foundation. And right around the pandemic, he started this campaign called Right to Start, which provides policy recommendations for state and local legislators. And apart, you know, the, the, the main focus is to remove barriers for folks wanting to start a business, any business, venture backable, small business, whatever you want it to be. And it's so interesting because he was just in town last week. Um, I've become a, a new ambassador for Indiana. And he and I were talking about this shift in conversations where pre-pandemic, there was still this really lack of interest in uh, wanting to change policy or really wanting to support entrepreneurs across the spectrum um, because it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was, there wasn't an emergency, right? There wasn't a need yet. All of the business attraction and the, and the dollars flowing from the attraction perspective were, were flowing pretty good. And then the pandemic hit. And I think that did shift a lot of people's focus into, oh yes, we don't want the ice cream shop to shut down. How do we help them? How do we how do we get them through this pandemic and then ensure that they can survive later on and be sustainable? Excuse me, be sustainable. And so um, I think also in a lot of rural communities, they're understanding that okay, we did attract a large, many you know, fifty even fifty job manufacturing company. That's great, but when's the next one going to come? You know, maybe we should really think about having a balanced approach to our economic development strategy, how do we create these entrepreneurs? Okay, we have a good you know, program at the local community college, how do we grow that? And so there's just been a shift in conversation and people asking, what if we did things a little bit differently that didn't happen, that wasn't happening two, two years ago? So Right to Start is building momentum across the US. We have um, a couple different legislators taking a look at those policies here in Indiana. They've been um, enacted in, in certain uh, forms in Missouri, in Arkansas, Florida, um, proposed in, in, in other states across the US. And so the conversation is shifting. I see it shifting. One thing that they do really good here in um, Jersey, I can say is like Rutgers Newark, I mean Rutgers University's got his head and hands in a lot of stuff. So they're always running different programs. And I had an opportunity to launch a podcast for Rutgers Business School focused on black entrepreneurs during the pandemic awesome. uh, called Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive, which was super dope. But I like that idea of like, let's get more of these community colleges um, in the game too, teaching, you know, financial, um, uh, what is it? Financial accounting, all that other yeah, stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, which is so, so important to any business, right? Your financial literacy. Yeah, or have coaches, you know, coming out of the, the local community colleges, right? Because again, when you have money flowing in the economy, it creates more opportunities for others. And I know one big thing you talked about is workforce development, right? One of the reasons I think it's so important veterans start businesses is because we can also hire other veterans, right. right? We can help them find that sense of meaning and purpose. But it is hiring is no joke, man. It ain't no joke, right? You already got cash flow issues. Now you get add on payroll issues. And so like, how can you lower that barrier entry, right. you know? One of the things I'm thinking about right off the bat is helping facilitate those big contracts. Yes. Right? Um, you know, cutting some of those big contracts to the little people because that goes a long way in getting healthy margins in their business. You know, you're that local ice cream shop. All of a sudden, that major corporation is like, hey, we want you to, you know, serve ice cream at all our facilities or something. That could be a big $50,000, $100,000 contract that otherwise wouldn't happen. Um, 
to, you know, to a shop that's mainly focused on, um, how do I call it? Foot track. That's right. You're absolutely right. It just takes a little, it takes courage to think outside of the status quo. And so, you know, some communities are doing it well, others are still struggling, but I see things changing and um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the future. And I think Bunker Labs, plus the work that you're doing, that messaging is resonating with people. You know, like the message is getting out and people are becoming aware. And that's the first step. You know, real change is gonna happen and, and will continue to evolve. But I see more and more people getting it and understanding. So Courtney, let me ask you this. What are you working towards personally? What's your big, hairy, audacious goal? Well, as much as I was talking about not tech, um, my husband and I are <laughs> have um, we we have started a new venture um, at the intersection of senior housing and technology, and so it's interesting because um, housing is such a critical issue everywhere. Whether you live in an urban community or rural community, it doesn't matter. There, there. Whether you rent, whether you own a home. Um, whether you need a starter home or whether you're a senior, housing is a critical issue. And so my husband and I have, I like to call us mom and pop real estate investors and uh, responsible ones, and especially understanding the economic development side of and the impact of housing on economic development and communities. Um, we are looking for ways to solve um, housing options for seniors. It's, you know, expensive. Um, there aren't a ton of options available. And so that's what we're working on. And I'll say, you know, it's really the first business that we are working on collectively. You know, when he started the construction company, I was there in the background. You know, I was there supporting him. It's his business. That's his baby. And that's that's what he knows. But it's fun to finally now almost six years later, be like, oh, let's let's actually do this together. And so that's what we're working on. So with that in mind, what advice would you like to leave our listeners with as they pursue their own entrepreneurial journey? You got people that are starting consultancy similar to yours. Maybe we got some ice cream shop owner out there that listened to this episode was like, yes, preach it, you know? Seek out other entrepreneurs because I think iron sharpens iron and I, I enjoy, and the reason why maybe I get jaded in the economic development industry is there isn't a lot of thinking about what if, or how can I try this? And what do you think about this? With other entrepreneurs, you're constantly having those conversations and it just makes you better. And so seek out folks that are willing to think big with you and to push you and don't say no. You know, they might tell you it's not the best approach, but they will encourage you to keep going and to keep trying and to keep taking risks. And those those are your people. And, and Bunker is a great community for that. It's a fantastic community that's supportive. People will answer the phone. You know, I think the other thing is reach out and ask for advice because especially in the veteran and spouse community, people will always answer the phone. And that's not, I don't think you can do that in any other industry. Well, Courtney, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Where can people find you? How can they reach out to you? How can we support? Thanks. I will back at you, Mike. Um, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So just Courtney Zog. Uh, Z-A-U-G-G. My company is called Plaka, P-L-A-K-A, PlakaAssociates.com. Um, and then anything with Bunker Labs. I try and, and uh, share a lot of information about Bunker Labs and specifically Bunker Labs in Indianapolis. But 
please reach out if you have any questions or um, need some advice or just wanting wanting to um, spitball some ideas. I'm always always available. But thank you, Mike. Like your work is tremendous. I don't think you under I, mean, I don't know if you really understand the impact of what you're doing, not only in Newark but across the system with other veteran entrepreneurs and especially Black veterans. And so I'm very thankful for the opportunity and. Likewise, however I can help you, I will, I will freely do it. I appreciate it. Before we went live, I asked Courtney, I said, what's a win look like for you today? And she told me to emphasize that investing in entrepreneurship is investing in job creation. And so that's why we do what we do, right? We got to create jobs for our communities, veteran communities, underrepresented communities, et cetera. And those of you listening, you're the front line today. Right. Right. So, again, you know, as you start to grow and scale your businesses, think about the impact that you're going to be able to make across the board. You know, I, I they always say, like, um, you'll never have it as hard as you had in the military. But let me tell you all, having a team, even if it's just a vendor that's responsible for uh, earning in, that you're responsible for paying each month, they're counting on that income. That is not something to sleep on, you know, and the, the older I get and more mature I get in my entrepreneurial journey the more I've come to realize like, you know, that is to me, like that is almost more challenging than like being a Marine infantry Really? Officer, right? Like, yeah, it's important to be responsible for people's lives, but people's livelihood is just as important. You know, you never want to leave somebody hanging out on a vine. You know, they can't pay their rent. They can't feed their family. You know, those are the things that cause real mental strain on people. It's not, you know, being on patrol thinking they're going to die. It's the idea of, you know, they transition out the military and they can't find meaningful work. They can't pay their bills and it triggers all kind of stuff. And so when you know that and you're responsible for it, you've got to take it very seriously. And I think that's a, something I was just thinking about as we we're talking today about, you know, why we need to succeed as entrepreneurs to create these sustainable jobs for others. It's the ripple effect. So for all our listeners, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes. I'll be sure to include a link to Courtney's website in the show notes as well. Make sure you also get plugged into the Bunker Labs ecosystem at bunkerlabs.org. we got programs that will take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you alongside other founders and CEOs. Until next time, everyone, peace, love. Have a great rest of your week.